This episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast is brought to you by On Point Pomade. Keep your beard and hair looking on point with their line of pomades and beard oils over at onpointpomade.com. Use our code BSP15 at checkout and get 15% off your total purchase order. So thanks again to On Point Pomade for sponsoring our show. This episode is also sponsored by The Bean Bastard Coffee. Head over to TheBeanBastard.com and pick up any one of their delicious hand-roasted coffees. Coffee lovers will also enjoy their hand-cut and handmade espresso candles and soaps as well. If you're in the Buffalo, New York area, head to their store located at 448 Elmwood Avenue. And thanks again to The Bean Bastard for supporting this show. Brutally Speaking Podcast is proudly sponsored by Rockabilia.com. With over 500,000 officially licensed items in their online store, you're guaranteed to find something you need. Use our code BRUTALLY and get 10% off your total purchase order. Now on to the show. People say you have to have a lot of passion for what you're doing. This rings true because it's so hard that if you don't, any rational person would give up. It's really hard. And you have to do it over a sustained period of time. So if you don't love it, and if you're not having fun doing it, you're gonna give up. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Brutally Speaking Podcast. I am your host, John. And this episode's guest is Alfonso, vocalist of Heartsick. Um, this was done from a live stream that as of when I'm recording this intro was done last night. Um, the full transparency with this, we were going to do a episode with Dan, uh, of DFT's dungeon, formerly of discography discussion, formerly of this show. Uh, unfortunately he got sick, couldn't do it. And Alfonso and I were supposed to do this chat kind of in the daytime, uh, but with it being a holiday, I kind of wanted to spend time with my wife. He's on vacation with his wife and kid uh, at his in-law. So I was like, how about we just spend some time with our families respectively and find another time? And then literally Dan's like, I don't think I can do it. I'm sick. I'm not feeling good. And then so I texted Alfonso. I was like, how about we do it tonight? Sounds good. I go, how about we do a live stream? And he was like, okay. And it's kind of funny because in doing a live stream, I haven't done one in a while, a live stream on anything with a guest. And it's hard because it's it's a completely different animal than what it is when you're doing these with no one watching. Uh, you kind of have to be a little more leery of what you're about to say because you can't go back and edit it. It's there. Like, yes, I could take it down as soon as it's done if I said something mildly inappropriate or that wasn't supposed to be out there. But it's it's a whole thing because you're, you're having to watch what you're saying at times. Uh, you also have to sort of be interactive uh, with people who are literally commenting in real time and, you know, making them be a part of the show as it's happening. So if you go back and, and watch that or watch the YouTube version, you'll see that, you know, I'm clicking when people are commenting and putting it on the screen. So potentially you can see these comments and it's a, uh, it's a different animal. Um, but I also still wanted it to be what this show is, which is a, a very authentic conversation. And, and this one is born out of, I'll kind of say on my end a little bit out of, out of anger. And that's not really usually the catalyst for doing an episode. It, uh, was spurned by the band Heartsick, 
uh, entering a bunch of competitions recently to win a bunch of spots in DWP festivals and and doing all these things. I mean, it's it's kind of a time honored tradition. If you're an unsigned band, you you do these like battle of the band things. And this one was for Furnace Fest, and you know we were really excited about the opportunity. Uh, for those that don't know, I, I work with this band behind the scenes doing different uh, things. And so it was an opportunity I saw on the internet, presented it to them. We kind of put our best foot forward, uh, made it to the second round where it was the top 15 bands kind of going head to head for two days, uh, rallying fans to vote. And for the first day and a half, Hartsick was in the lead and crushing it. And the, the kind of unfortunate thing about this competition was that, you know, like a lot of these things, it's all about driving people to socials or to a site or whatever and driving up the traffic of whatever the, the hosting thing is. And so for this one, the final was done in a you know closed private Facebook group and all the voting was happening in there. And everything was fine until, you know, really this kind of the, the beginning of the second day where everything kind of started becoming this whole... It's this outsider band that's winning, and they're they're not hardcore. They're not what the ethos of what Furnace Fest is, and it became very apparent that people were essentially banding together to make sure that Heartsick didn't win. Literally, as you'll hear in the conversation, someone said, "I will literally do anything to make sure this band does not win." the band even was getting comments on their own personal page in regards to this competition where people were coming in and going, well, you shouldn't vote if you're not going to the show because it's not fair to those who are going and want to see X band. And even, you know, I know myself like, and we have receipts for all these things too. So I'm not talking out of my ass. Um, we know comments and votes were getting blocked. We know people who were coming in to vote for Heartsick were being denied. Uh, on one of the days, it was promotion for uh, any of the bands. Uh, if you were wanting to promote something, self-promotion Sunday, I believe is what they call it. Uh, anything to do with Heartsick was not being allowed to be posted. Uh, I know there were people that said they could literally could not even vote for Heartsick when we tried. Uh, and then it became a rallying thing for the whole group where when other bands realized they weren't going to win to then have people change their vote to vote for another band that could beat Heartsick just so Heartsick couldn't win. Um, and it was really frustrating. It was really frustrating for me for a multitude of reasons. Hardcore music has always been about kind of standing, standing up against opposition, standing up for yourself, standing up and being, giving yourself a voice when you feel like you don't have one feeling of, you know, family and all of these kind of things, you know, the, the hardcore ethos, the punk rock ethos and all these kind of things, it's always been kind of a safe haven for counterculture. And to see everyone band together to make sure that my friends aren't included in something that they are clearly winning. Clearly people want them to be a part of was really disheartening. Um, and I think even more so because I know the personal struggles that this band has gone through and, and I'll even speak more personally that Alfonso personally has gone through. Um, it's really tough to see one of your closest friends, uh, go through something like that. Know that it's, it's 
how his whole life has been. Uh, outside of music, inside the scene, for 20, well, fuck, for his whole life, but really, at least for the 20 some odd years I've known him. And uh, you know what? We talk about all this in this chat. So without further ado, this is my conversation with Alfonso. See you on the other side of it. I'm on a little bit before Alfonso. He is uh, taking care of his baby, which is what he should be doing. <laughs> um, I guess in kind of setting this up, uh, some of you are probably wondering why he's not on from the Heartsick page, uh, but we have access to it through this, thanks to him. Um, long and short of it, um, I've been tagged. If you are from the Heartsick page, if you from the brutally speaking page. If you are just seeing this on my page, on my Facebook page, um, I've been working with the bands, uh, behind the scenes for a little bit now. And it's kind of interesting to what capacity it's it's been interesting because, um, full transparency, Alfonso's tried to get me to do a multitude of things with the bands. And I always feel like I never really know what I can do to help. Uh, what's up, Andy. And uh, I never really know if I'm doing anything to be of, of service to him, uh, to the band. And it's one of those things where this journey, this this last, I'll say, six to eight months uh, that the, everyone has seen the band go through has, has been really incredible. Um, you know, it started with me kind of, I guess I'll say selfishly, going on Twitch and starting to be on Twitch uh, to figure it out to figure out what the platform is for how how people use it um i think everyone knows that twitch is mainly uh mainly a video game uh playing things uh streaming site so forth um and so when i started seeing bands and podcasters and so forth getting into this realm i kind of saw it to be something i could utilize but in what capacity um, so instead of just kind of hopping in and, and talking to no one, which is essentially what I did with this podcast initially, um, I started following a lot of bands. I started joining this community, the community of Twitch, the, the Twitch streamers, the fans and so forth of these bands and fans of these people and kind of started growing my name in the podcast name, the presence. And in that, I saw there are a lot of opportunities for, a band like Heartsick to be able to come into this this digital landscape and this new platform uh, that was shifting what it was, what it was able to do for bands. Um, I was starting to see someone like, you know, Brandon Saller from Atreyu would would do like unsigned bands, and he would listen to him, and he would you know give you his advice on the song you're playing or so forth, and it really became an avenue. I realized where the guys could get put in front of a larger audience quicker. And was one of those where, you know, I saw West Borland was going to start doing something with Bobby from Blackcraft Cult and that they were working with DWP, which for those that may not know what that is, it's Danny Wimmer presents. Uh, Danny Wimmer is essentially the one of the biggest uh, companies 
gear for booking uh, rock and metal acts uh, here in the in the states. Um, you know, they put on things like Louder Than Life. They do Incarceration Fest now. I believe they've done so many things. Uh, what's up, Justin? Hello, Teresa. And it's one of those things. Sorry, I'm also fighting off like a sinus infection too. So forgive sort of the nasally thing going on. Um, so it's been one of those things where I had talked about how Space Libra was doing this thing very much like Brandon was, where they were watching and playing videos of unsigned bands. And so told Alfonso to, to hop in and to to do that. And lo and behold, you know, he he 100% built a connection with Bobby, with all the people over at Space Zebra. Um, you know, it's easy to, to tell someone about an opportunity, but the opportunity only is as good as the product or the thing that you are presenting. And I have nothing to do with that. So Alfonso likes to credit me, uh, likes to credit Shane, likes to credit the team, as it's kind of become known, uh, for a lot of the things we do. And a lot of it, I think, is honestly just... <sighs> I think it's just really being at the right place at the right time and, and understanding an opportunity when you see one. And for the band, it's, it's always been about not being able to be seen. You know, Alfonso loves, and, and I rightfully agree with this, telling people that there's, there's nobody behind the band. They're not signed. They don't have a fuckload of money. Um, they don't have these opportunities given to them or having favors pulled for them. Um, so everything they have to get is, is earned literally in the most figurative of senses of having to earn literal money uh, by Alfonso working a million jobs and so forth to, to help pay for the recording costs and all that kind of stuff of the songs to the music videos and, and all that kind of stuff. And all along the way, Alfonso and the guys, since I have known them shit, probably almost 20 years now, have always been that DIY band Their Their ethos is so rooted in that it is a badge of honor. It is unapologetically who they are. They are the nicest group of guys you will ever meet who will give you the literal shirts off of their backs. I'm going to bring Alfonso in, but I'm going to finish kind of setting what this conversation is going to be. Hello, Alfonso. What's up, buddy? How you doing? Uh, I'm going to finish uh, sucking your dick here for a couple more minutes before we actually get into the, the actual <laughs> conversation. Um, but along the way, this this past six to eight months, the band has crushed every opportunity it has been given. Um, you know, winning Viragos, winning Louder Than Life, winning Aftershock, winning all of these things because of all of you that are watching. Uh, all of you that may watch and or listen after the fact. It's it's literally because of all of you. Um and it's one of those where it is what feels like 20 plus years in the making. It, it feels like the groundswell of something that is about to be something that's about to be bigger. Um, you know, doing this podcast, I've gotten to talk to a lot of successful people. A lot of people from all walks of life have been doing this for different amounts of time. And the one thing that I think separates them from this band it's pretty much nothing. It's honestly the money behind them. It's honestly the label backing, but it all started with fans who believed in what they do, who helped push them and grow their name and their brand. And this past weekend, and, th and this is really what the catalyst has become for this conversation, because I started this off, you know, a few minutes ago saying about how 
this is about a scene, about a community, about something you're building, something bigger than yourself. And the hardcore scene, the metal scene has been something that else I can probably say I can speak for, for both Alfonso and I is something that we went to when we didn't feel like we belonged anywhere else. It was a place for us to go to and find acceptance for the first time, find something that felt like ours, uniquely ours. And this past weekend, um, seeing the guys DM near pull, pull off another fucking win. Maybe we were getting greedy. Maybe for all the things we've been winning, we were collecting too many trophies and, and this was our Michael Jordan needed to go play baseball for two seasons and come back and start another three-peat. But it was really fucking disheartening to see how once this this band who wants nothing more than to be accepted, to play for people, to play their music and just share what they love doing with everyone and anyone, to see essentially the stacked the narrative really i'll say the narrative change and be about exclusion to not be about giving a place for everyone to feel wanted to see that people were attacking and singling out heartsick and its fans reminded me of the bigger problem that rock metal hardcore all face which is the elitist attitude and i i'm going to say this and i can pull from personal experiences and I know damn well I've seen it and heard it firsthand from some of the guys actually in Heartsick. And I'm going to call it out, but also sort of the racist ass mentality that sometimes goes into this of, you know, someone who's not white. Not a white male, I'll probably even say. Because I see the narrative too that women don't belong in hardcore. And you know what? I love watching women be at hardcore shows. I love my wife. Tell you a quick story. Going to 18 Visions in LA. Never been to the venue. Never been out that far. We walk in, and if you've ever been to the Roxy, you literally walk in essentially to the pit. And a fucking DB two-step part happened right as we were walking in. Most people's inclinations probably be, oh shit, I where's my wife? I need to protect her. I had that thought for about 0.2 seconds and then go, she's a badass bitch. She grew up in this shit just like I did. She can handle it. And she did. And so did I. And she actually pulled me away from getting spun roundhouse kicked in the face by Davey Havoc during Tower of Snakes. So there's that. But this whole this whole competition really rubbed me the wrong way. And I don't want to say, and I don't want to lump everyone in this scene in this community and say that it's it's an everyone problem. It's very much a few bad apples. Um, and I think that's the bigger talking point because unfortunately I feel like it needs to be addressed. It needs to be talked about because if you don't talk about it, then how will anyone know? How can we start making progress to, to be better as people, to be better as a scene to each other, a scene that preaches inclusion and all this kind of stuff and brotherhood and love for one another and rising over oppression. Oddly, you're one of the few that does it the worst. So that's kind of what the impetus of this conversation is going to be about so thank you alfonso for coming to stir the pot session with me <laughs> I'm, always, I'm always all about stirring the pot you kidding me shane always has to talk me off a ledge you everyone can credit shane to uh to, to making me stop be, being a psychopath online but uh no i mean it's it's true you know uh the the sad part 
about the that aspect of what was going on in this whole kind of competi- competition thing uh, is, is really nothing new to us. I mean, you've known about us for for damn near a millennia, you know, and uh, and when we were starting the band back when it was called No Life back, I mean, the band started, No Life started in 2000. And that was like the ripe age for like new metal and stuff, right? So like Stained, Corn, Limp Biscuit, all those bands were really, really big. And somewhere around 2005, the scene changes and now bands like 18 Visions, Poison the Well, Converge, uh, As I Lay Dying, uh, Martyr AD, you know, Hatebreed, like all of those bands are started coming into the fold and being what would then become metalcore. But at, at those at that point was hardcore, undercore, underground hardcore. And oddly enough, the one person in the band that was listening to all those bands before we ever found out about that side of the scene was Waylon. I mean, when I was growing up in Miami, I was listening to Madball. I was listening to Sick of It All. I was listening to Stretch Armstrong. I was listening to Shooty's Groove. Like I was listening to a lot of hardcore already. Earth Crisis, um, Snapcase, bands that I all that I loved. Orange Nine Millimeter. I love that band. And those are the bands that I was discovering growing up because of my friends in high school. Obviously, then I found out about corn i found out about deicide i found out about fear factory i found out about a bunch of different bands because of my friend ruben uh back home in miami so i was really developing all of my musical tastes in heavy music during that time so when no life gets together and we get Waylon in the band Waylon's starting to teach me about all these other new bands through Waylon, i found out about converge through Waylon, i found out about water drowning through Waylon. I found about, found out about from a second story window through Waylon. I found about, find out about poison. The well, all bands that I love. I thought those bands were all amazing. And I fell in love with poison. The well is probably like my favorite band from that era for sure. A hundred percent. And now when the scene was changing into that, we were still a band that was rooted in new metal per se, but we loved the stuff that was coming out from the East coast and the West Coast hardcore scenes and where we were, we were incorporating it into our music, we just weren't interested in jumping on the bandwagon the way that all the other bands seemed to be doing in our scene, right? Um, and, you know, that created a bunch of shitty situations for us because when we started playing shows, there was a band from Lansing called Summer Dying and they were the only band giving us shows and that band then turned into getting shows with a band called Edison Clio, which then turned into getting shows with, uh, you know, some other bands. I think like Coalesce and stuff we ended up playing with at some art gallery in Lansing. Like we really came up in the hardcore scene. Like we 100% did. Lansing didn't have any venues by the time that I arrived to Lansing, Michigan. It was all art galleries and basement shows. So here we are a band that has like a DJ and a second guitar player playing like down tuned songs, but incorporating like these new metal aspects to it. Now, you know, new school, what would become metalcore is coming into play. And all our friends bands are wearing like their, their girlfriend's jeans. And we're like, we're not doing that. No, thanks. You know? (laughs) And 
now we become social pariah number one. And it was kind of like the same thing. Like people just hated to hate us, not because of anything other than the fact that we weren't following the same musical path that a lot of bands started to follow when that genre became popular. Um, we just were interested in writing music that we liked. Like that was it. It was like, well, we really love System of a Down and the Deftones, but we also fucking love Dead Water Drowning and Poison the Well. Like, how do we put all this stuff together? And that's kind of how we developed the band that we are. I mean, even till this day, we still listening are listening to the, all of those bands. So it was, it wasn't new seeing that kind of negativity being brought upon us in that particular group by a very small margin of people. But unfortunately, the small margin of those people really do make up a big voice for that because other people don't step up and speak up about it. That's the thing. It's like, even though it's not a bunch of people saying that stuff, the fact that everybody else stays quiet is what makes it bad. Right. It's like, it's, yeah, you're not. It's what Josta, sorry. It's what Josta calls the vocal minority. And I believe in that phrasing a hundred percent. It, it is. That's really what it is. So seeing those comments and seeing the vitriol come from that community was funny to me, but also disappointing because it's like, that's not how we grew up listening to hardcore music. That's not how I grew up in Miami when I was like in the scene and I was, you know, putting on my exes and, and being part of, you know, of that kind of stuff and it was all about you know unity and family and coming into something that a lot of people misunderstood and being accepted like that was like the whole thing and then so seeing that was ridiculous and then you know compounded by the fact that like the complaint was you know from the vocal few was uh you know all these new people are just coming into this community you know just to vote this is bullshit you know not you know this this particular band doesn't even have the sound that furnace fest has and i'm just like are you reading the same flyer that i'm reading like mastodon's on this in flames is on this like what are you talking about like there is spill canvas (laughs) yeah like spill canvas Luis Alfonso. That's a funny still, regardless. <laughs> oh, you fucking. Oh, am I back now? Okay, sorry about that. Um, like, and the, the, the weird thing about those communities, especially the hardcore community, in that aspect, those vocal, the vocal few, is that it it's so weird what they accept as hardcore and what they don't. Like, you and I, like, you turned me on to. Even though it's funny when I'm talking, when I'm going to talk about this band, because you had mentioned this band a while back to me and Waylon had been listening to this band and Waylon's brother. So Waylon's brother, Daryl, is like hardcore fanatic. That dude knows everything about that dude lives the culture. That dude (laughs) is hardcore culture. like that guy knows every single band that you're like are you some sort of like fucking weird like scene dude or something? But he just knows all the bands. So Turnstile, I had heard about Turnstile forever ago. I just kind of missed the boat on them. Like I don't have an excuse on why I didn't check them out. I just did it. 
And then you like sent me a messenger like, oh, you really got to check out this band. You got to check out this record. It's really, really sick. I was like, oh, it turns out I've heard about them. I guess I'll check them out. And like I fell in love with that record. And if you listen to that band, that band is not a hardcore band by any stretch of the word. But that entire scene just embraces the shit out of that band. So I'm like, how are you going to how are you going to like embrace a band like that? But then get on the internet as well and then just take a shit on a band you've never even met or heard about until right now. And your only gripe is the fact that people are joining your group. And it's like, we're not the ones to blame for that. Blame your admins because this is how they decided to do it. You know what I'm saying? And it was just like, okay, cool, whatever, man. And I don't know. It, it was just so it just so weird how like that, like – it was so bothersome for people. I just don't under and like I still can't wrap my mind around it. Like I don't understand what like it just it made people so so mad. It was so weird. Well, and I'll kind of peek behind the curtain a little bit of some of the other contests to, to keep it somewhat more positive and not be all no, shitty. Yeah, for sure. Um first of all, I'll say, you know, at least I First things first with Turnstile, I think the thing is, is that that band, because they literally toured with all your, like all the, the uh, everyone's favorite hardcore bands. Like I saw them tour with Eats It. I saw them at the Eats It Christmas show. Like I saw them play with a lot of hardcore bands when they were kind of more rooted in it, more kind of a punk kind of thrashy hardcore. Um, But to see the full transition they made, I mean, I think it's because everyone was just kind of like, oh, well, they're ours, so it's whatever, we'll support them. And and there, you see a lot of hate now where people are like, oh, well, they they turn their backs on the scene kind of shit. And it's just, <laughs> and it's it's whatever. But I think that's the thing... The thing. How, like, how do you... I've never, like, and that's, like, in music in general, the older I've gotten, and don't get me wrong, like, I'm, I'm sure you were, when you were young too, like, we had this, like, oh, fucking sellouts kind of thing. And you think about music in that aspect... And you think about bands and then you start really thinking about it as an adult and as a musician and as an artist. And you go, what does that even mean? Like at the end of the day, what, you know, what an artist wants at the end of the day is to get their art out to as many people as possible, art that they believe in and they love. Just because that art changes through time, because duh, they get older, they get wiser, they have more life experience, doesn't make it that it's selling out. I think I think when when I think about the word sellout and in that term is when I'm gonna I'm gonna take uh Sugar Ray for example. I really feel that Sugar Ray is like the only good example of a band that we're like, okay, yeah, they sold out. At the same time, it's like Hey, I mean, that's what they really wanted to do. So whatever, like they had before Sugar Ray became the Sugar Ray that people know, they were like like they were like Lemonade and Brownies was like a punk hardcore record. I own that record, which is still hilarious to me because, again, I'm not hardcore, I guess, whatever. Anyway, so, uh, you know, you listen to that record and then they put out the song that they did. What was the name of that song? That like super big fly right they put out fly but that was like the only song on that record that was like that that record was a little bit more mainstream but it was still pretty punk hardcore right and then fly comes out and of course it just blows up it does what it does and i think the band was just like yo like do we still want to keep fucking eating shit in a van down by the river or 
you know, we're like in our forties now, like, do we want to fucking make some cash and like still do what we want to do? And I think the band was like, fuck it. We've done X amount of records and do it. And you know what? Like, that's fine too. Like that's, that's your prerogative. But to, you know, the idea, like when people get mad at a band like Turnstile, it's like, dude, they're, they're making fucking phenomenal music and, and they're opening the door to some other kid who's going to find out about Turnstile and be like, oh, where did these guys come from? And then it's going to find out about like Knock Loose is going to find out about Trapped Under Ice is going to find out about On Broken Wings and stuff like that. And, and then I'll get to it. So I think there's a beauty in that when a band starts to, to evolve into those things, because Turnstile is a great example of a band that's super incredible and has been able to sort of quote unquote genre hop and do it well, you know? I think the the bigger takeaway to me is, you know, when we, or I should say you, when you guys did the DWP stuff for Viragos and all that, actually, I'll go a little bit before that even, because you had been in some other competitions for some other festival or whatever prizes they were lining yeah. up, and you didn't mm-hmm. win those. You came close. You built a relationship and, and no, did yeah, in yeah. typical you guy fashion, like you know, built a relationship and people saw the hard work and the, the, everything that goes into what you guys do and believed in it. So they kept giving you more opportunities and you just, you and everyone literally watching the, you know, the fans and so forth supported it. And you can't, you can't knock a band for that, you know, like a little bit of full transparency too, because, you know, I, I feel like this is, uh, this is important. You know, I literally was, See if I, I know you probably will not be able to see it, but I was literally texted today and I was asked if, hold on, let me see it. Um, I was literally asked by a friend of mine who asked what I was doing tonight because it's supposed to be with somebody else. And I go, talking to Alfonso from Heartsick. The text, oh no, it's going to be too blurry. Anyway, the text literally says, <laughs> The text literally reads, are they a good band? I know they're friends of yours, but are they good? Been around a long time, right? I'm wondering if it's if it's a dragged under situation. Tons of opportunity, but not catching on. And I wrote, they are now. <laughs> I go, and what I mean by that is, and then I followed it up by saying, they were always a great live band, but I didn't feel like they had the songs, at least that I connected with. Since the name changed, since I feel like there was more of an emphasis on kind of creating a, a more total package of who you are. I think, I think the business side of things changed when the name changed. I think a lot more focus went into, we're going to do things and play within the system kind of a, in a sense. And I might yeah, be looking at that totally wrong, but that's how I took it from no, my perspective. No, that's, that's absolutely And I correct. feel like you can't understate enough how different the two eras of the band are. One is doing things, you know, you like you, you've been saying, you've been a band for 20 some odd years. You're getting better and bigger opportunities now than you were before. And 100% of that, I have to feel like, is because you're doing things smarter. It's almost like playing a video game the second time through. You know what you're doing, so you can play it better. You can make yep. better decisions and you'll That's be good. rewarded better. I think Absolutely. that's what you're doing right now. You're on the second go through of this and you just know what you need to do and you're making better informed decisions all across the board and you're being rewarded for for that. And to see, you know, go into like the Viragos thing, you know, something I had said 
when I realized like the shot I feel like you guys had. And, you know, and, and even in that, I kind of was like, I think it's unfair that you have David from Korn's band trying to win this fucking thing. Like that's kind of unfair uh, in my opinion. Great. No, he, they're not signed. So it does fall under the thing, but it's like, dude, you were in fucking corn. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's not fair. Secondly, uh, you have, you know, cultist black. And again, that dude was in mush or not mushroom. And he was in, uh, uh, I think that was, uh, 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 moto grader. He was in moto grader. Yes. Yes. So again, you have connections to the industry. Like literally they were, and still are on the static X dope, you know, whoever else the fuck is fear factory. Like they're on that tour. And I'm like, do you really need to win this? Cause like, you're already like doing something more than half of the, like three quarters of these bands on the thing. So it becomes this thing where in spite of all that, like one thing I kind of noticed is I was like, Hey, you know, there's a band from here in Michigan as well that you're not going to have to go up against unless it comes to the final. Why don't we go to them and go, Hey, Let's build on our community, show DWP what it would be that we want to mi- all Michigan final between the two bands. We'll we'll rally all of our fans together to help each other. Now, granted, that might kind of suck, and that's kind of, you know, could be cheating, however you want to put it. I think it just shows that you are wanting to support your own. You want to raise up your own community, put, put Michigan on the fucking map between yeah. Lansing and Grand Rapids. And I think it shows that you can put your own ego aside. It shows that you are willing to work for the betterment of one of the two of you. But ultimately, even if you were to lose to them, you're still winning because you're you're putting each other on the map. You're supporting for each sure. other. It's doing what the hardcore scene and community has kind of always said it does. And even in doing that, we were met with, no, we're, we're, we're busy doing something else, whatever. And they didn't want to, they didn't end up wanting to play ball. And I kind of thought that was really telling. And it's just, it's just another thing in these competitions where, and let's, let's call a spade a spade. Really? All these things are all these, all these Twitch competitions and stuff are honestly the same thing as like a, Hey, we're going to have an all local metal festival, but you got to pay for your tickets and then sell them for the opportunity to play. You're basically engaging and driving up all of their numbers, all of their socials, all their stuff. That's what this, this last festival competition thing was all about driving everyone to the various social networking platforms that they needed to build up. And when you realize that the system is still rigged against smaller bands, a hundred percent. Oh, of course. I mean, it's, it's a hundred percent rigged. I mean, you know, like, listen, when it comes, like you said, like you stated it perfectly, like we're getting bigger now than we were, than we ever were in the last like two years. And you're right. There's a reason for that. There's a reason why Heartsick has become bigger and bigger than No Life, but we needed No Life to be Heartsick, right? And that began with the death of our drummer and the the team of management that we ended up getting between our two friends, Seth Thacker, who was in Straight Line Stitch, and our friend Mark Beamer, who was the tour manager for Miss May I. Those guys really sort of kicked our asses in gear and were like, hey, like these are the things that are missing. And they were just really upfront about us. And we're like, listen, the first good song that you guys have made that actually like would resonate with a bunch of people is Rose Casket Diary. You need to keep doing shit like that. And we were like, okay, cool. Like we like stuff like that. We didn't actively go back into the studio and go like, let's write another like Rose Casket Diary. It was just like, okay, we see how people are paying attention. We have to do this. 
we went through that phase and then Shane has come in with Ryan and, you know, you helping us. And we really just make a collective. We've, we've learned that the band needs to be a collective in order for the band to succeed. That that's part of the thing. But we also learned, especially me, because I have to take a lot of responsibility on this end. Like I am very much a person that likes to work within within the spectrum of authenticity. I want the band to be authentic. I don't want the band to do anything that doesn't feel like it's authentic. That's why you don't see me making fucking TikToks on the band page and you don't see me making my own TikTok page doing a bunch of vocal covers. It's not that I think that that stuff is dumb or anything. I don't have an opinion on that stuff. It's just, it's not authentic to the person that I am and it's not authentic to the band that we are. Waylon and Jared and Jake are not very social media savvy. They don't like being on social media all day long. I'm the only one that really likes to kind of do that shit. Those dudes have things that they love and to make them do things like that would be inauthentic to them and would only make them feel forced to do something that they actually love to do, but don't want to feel like it's a job. So I'm not going to go to those guys and be like, do this and this and this and this. We work on it together. We talk about like, okay, what's going to feel the best thing. And they get their ideas and the bands become bigger because of that kind of mentality. But also, like you said, learning how to play the game. I, for a long time, had a real big chip on my shoulder about, and you know this, like, you know me, we're friends. Like, I had a big show, I had a big chip on my shoulder about, like, kind of, like, giving it to the man and giving into the system. But the reality is you have to play within those band, within those bounds of that and learn how to bend those rules to get what you want out of it and learn how to cultivate relationships within that to make it work for you. You can still be authentic, but you have to play the game. You just do. It's like, it's like taxes, right? No one likes paying fucking taxes. I hate that shit. We lose our checks to it. But the reason why millionaires are millionaires and people who have businesses make a shitload of money and corporations and shit is because they know how to play within the system, right? They're like, well, we have to pay taxes, but there's all these other tax laws that can work for us. So let's kind of do that. Right. It's kind of the same thing, which is how this kind of transitions into the whole, like these battle, the bands things and what they really are. Listen, we are not stupid. All of us are bright individuals. We know that what these things are doing is literally what you said, trying to build up other forms of social media for these companies, for these promoters to get the numbers that they need to continue to get the funding that they need, so on and so forth. DWP is an awesome company. They're great. We love working with them. Twitch Twitch and DW Presents Space Zebra, those people are fucking rad. Like, I love Jake. I love Amanda. I love Bobby. I love Trey, Josh, like all those people. But at the same time, Danny Wimmer, Danny Hayes, and that company needs to make money. They need to be a business, and they need to continue to grow their business. The only way that they're going to do that is by adapting. How do they adapt? Find new ways, new mediums to bring new viewers into it. If that means that they're going to have to get together with some more local bands, make a show, and have them compete or do whatever else to use that as free uh advertising for them for sure but the bands are agreeing to do that too there's nothing that says that you have to do that we never had to do that but one day after like when you sent me that first message that the first time you did it and actually west borland was on that on that show that's when it kind of first started i was like oh this is cool and i kind of like applied and i just blew it off i didn't think anything of it i was just like oh whatever they're not going to care about us and then i get like this email and they're like hey we're going to play it i'm like what's this about and I remember reaching out to you and I was like, hey, I think these guys responded and they're going to like play us and shit. And it was cool and it was exciting. And it was like, it was something that was like 
starting to build up and it had people that had some influence and had some power and were actually watching and paying attention. And when there's no better feeling than having like West fucking Borland from Limp Biscuit. I don't give a shit what you think about that band. West Borland is a fucking genius. That guy is a fucking like legend, just like Trent Reznor, right? That dude is on that tip. The dude just has this vision that nobody else has. And when that dude's like, Hey, this is actually pretty cool. That, that was like, like all of us were like, Holy shit. West thinks this is cool. Now in our defense, or like not our defense, like it was like, we still didn't take it as seriously. We didn't really think about mobilizing the way that we did. So the first competition that they did, we kind of took it seriously, but we, you know, let's be honest, like, let's call a spade a spade. Like you said, we kind of half-assed it and we just kind of slipped off and uh, Widow 7 ended up becoming like the first DWP band to do that. And now they're like, kind of like the flagship band for that. And good for them because we're fucking friends with those dudes and we've played shows with them and we're about to play a show here with them. And I kind of kept watching the show and I kind of get kept getting more invested. I genuinely like the show. I like tuning in on Tuesdays. I like tuning in on Thursdays when I can, when my schedule allows. And I like being friends with those dudes and I like seeing and discovering new talent. I love discovering new bands. That's something that I've always done. So it kind of went hand in hand. Now when we really got into it was the Viragos thing. And we were like, I, I kind of just got sick of it. And I was like, how the fuck do we have this many people who pay attention to us? This many people that love us, this many people that like know about the band, but like we can barely get past the first round of fucking anything. And I was like, it's not their problem. That's our problem. So we got together and we're like, we need to just blow this thing up. And we did. And we went all in. I mean, you gave us the idea of like, yo, you should reach out to all your friends that are in bands and you should have them make videos for you. You were the one that said that, not us and not me. And I was like, oh, I was the one that was like, oh, I don't know. I don't want to bother those people. And you're like, dude, you got to stop being such a fucking pussy. And this is why you need to use these people. Like there are your friends. You've made friends with them already. You don't have to prove to them that you don't, that you're there to use them. You're not, but you have to do this. And I was like, oh, I guess you're right. And lo and behold, and they fucking did it. And it was fucking crazy. And it just like, it just spiraled out of control. And like, it just blew up. I like to think, and maybe I'm wrong, but I like to think that like the competition that we did for Viragos ended up being the catalyst for how many bands they started getting afterwards and what bands started doing afterwards. We were the only band that got that many votes in one of those competitions back then. We were the only band that threw a show with people actually on it for the live feed. We were the only band that did that. And when we approached the band and took your idea and said, hey, why don't we get together? Let's make it an all Michigan thing. Let's let's band together and do this. And they were kind of like uneasy about it or they, you know, they just didn't seem like that's something that they wanted to do. We were like, okay, whatever. But that was kind of the mentality that started changing my mind about like, dude, we are all really in this together. We really are. Like there was nothing to lose had we done that because those people still like that band and they still get a hold of them to play shows for them and shit. So you really have nothing to lose. And in that aspect, within that show, they are really all about bands working together. It really excites what them I said. to see bands get together and start playing shows and shit. So it only works to your benefit to do that, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it was interesting. And the, and the whole reason I initially had brought up the 
I don't want to say collusion, but basically think having the forward sight with this competition, because I'll say like Alfonso loves to, and he kind of already has, he loves saying that like, oh, you, you have all these ideas, you do all these things. I just throw shit out there based on, because I people watch and I listen and you watch those, those space deeper things. And, and what they kept talking about consistently was, you know, we love that fans of other, like fans become fans of other bands because of this. And if you keep hearing someone say that, then it's like, okay, what you like is, when bands get together, whether it be, you know, excuse me, uh, whether it end up being because their fans are supporting each other, if they're trading shows, if they're doing whatever, but they love the fact that it's, it's creating another community. It's creating another scene, a, a supportive scene and community. And to me, it just was a no brainer. Like I said, to be like, let's have the foresight to try to do whatever we can to ensure that we can make a Michigan final for that. Cause that, I mean, granted and 100 percent, this was on me when i thought about it because i'm thinking promotion you stretch it out another episode that you would announce the finals that on the show that actually was the final four and then the final two and then the winner but to me i was like yo you do the final four we make it a michigan final then we spend a week like you know michigan you know grand rapids versus or you know you you just kind of do playful you can and then you can even do like fun like wrestling promos to each other like ooh, heart sick we're gonna take you down (laughs) You know, like whatever you just have fun yeah, with yeah, it like yeah. in between the two because at that point you both are getting a, a really awesome opportunity and i just thought of all the fun ways that you could have everyone kind of put michigan on the map how you could have fun with it and make it something where it's it is still a competition but it's not it's kind of just putting the shine on each other and that was kind of what i envisioned when i came up with the idea now what's interesting though is to see you know, sometimes in the comments, you know, on those things, you would see people like, oh, this band isn't this, this band isn't this, whatever. But it's funny because the Space Zebra show really reminded me of what hardcore shows used to be, which was a mixed ass bill. You talked about it earlier with, you know, Summer Dying and Edison Cleo, Clio, whatever. And, you know, I can remember going to Max and seeing or Lansing or Kalamazoo or any of the places I've lived. And you would see a hardcore band with like a, an indie rock band with like a fucking rapper or something weird. I don't know. Something like a, a one man band kind of thing or a comedian. And it'd be like, you would have these mixed genre bills and it didn't matter. Cause everyone was there just to enjoy being a part of something, to be a part of live music, to experience something. And to me, space Libra kind of filled a little bit of that niche that was kind of missing. I mean, you see like a, a site, like return to the pit, and you see all these like like six seven band bills, you know, and it'll be like Mastodon, you know, Southern Southern Groove Metal with you know Overcast or you know Blood Has Been Shed and and you know whomever or whatever. You see these bills, and you're like, dude, I would fucking like rip off my arms, your arms, someone else's arms to go to that show now for four dollars on a Saturday. Yeah, and it's right. like the worst part. The worst part is you know damn well fucking no one went to those shows. Even yeah. back then. And yeah. it's it's one of those where this this revisionist history of, of what the scene is and what it was and stuff like that, you know, I can say because of me doing this show and having talked to, you know, just literally, uh, you know, about two, three weeks ago, talking to Brandon from Bleeding Through, James from 18 Visions, talking to the dudes in Atreyu, that it's like, what was it like starting your style of hardcore out on the West Coast and coming to the East Coast for the first time and having James and Brandon being like, oh, 
we came down here and we got called faggot and had shit thrown at us and spit on and all that kind of stuff because we wore tight jeans and wore ties and had eyeliner and stuff like that. And then he goes, and then we'd come back the next time and all the all the dudes look like us. And it's like, <laughs> yeah. it's interesting to to know the history as it really was because we kind of lived it to a degree and know that it wasn't like when people say hardcore is a, is a community and it's all inclusive and shit, it's like, a hundred percent. It never has been to a degree. It's always been about keeping outsiders outside locals only, you know, in, in kind of surf skater speak. And yeah. it's really disheartening because I mean, almost everyone that is in those bands, you know, the OGs of the scene and so forth, were all people who didn't feel, didn't feel a part of what they were or that they were bigger than, I mean, you look at a band like 18 visions, it's easy to hear it now more so than, than ever. But I mean, it's like you can hear a ton of Alice in Chains influences in what James is doing vocally. Oh yeah, dude. And it's like, so an OG of, of, you know, metal core of hardcore, whatever. And he's influenced by grunge. You listen to a band like Alexis on fire, same thing. Like you, you hear a lot of these bands and you realize their influences come from something entirely different, but all of it is still kind of counterculture. It's rooted in counterculture. And so it just baffles me to, to still see that, you know, 20 years later, 25, 30, 40 years later, we're still in the same fucking space that we always have been. You know, I was reminded and I was telling Bridget because she was, for those listening, that's my wife. Um, the last two days, like last night, we went to go see 311 and we were out with a friend of mine before the show. And, you know, I'm going back and forth with you guys about what's going on with, with this thing because I don't have Facebook on my phone anymore because it's just toxic as shit. Um, and it was this thing where I was getting really upset because I was reminded of when I worked in the Lansing mall and you were about ready to go start a tour and you were selling your PlayStation two because yeah. you needed extra money. Yeah. And yeah. I remember asking you, cause you had just got done doing like a, maybe a week and a half, two week run. And I was like, Oh, how was it? And you're like, Oh dude, I got my ass kicked when we were in Tennessee or like Nashville or something like that, or Knoxville or something like that somewhere in the South. And I was like, what? It was, no, it was Iowa. It was, it, Iowa. Was, it was fucking C it was council Bluffs, Iowa. Yeah. And I remember just being like, you just were so nonchalant about it. Yeah. And it really was like, how do you literally get beat up just because of this color of your skin for playing a show because you're not from there because you're, you're not quote unquote welcome. And you just like took it in stride. You're like, nah, happens. And I was yeah. like, no, it, it shouldn't it, like, that's fucked up. Like you sh I feel like you should be way more upset about it. You're like been de dealing with it my whole life. And you talked about it in one of your, your Facebook lives or whatever the other day. And like, I was telling Bridget, I was like, that's the part that, that frustrates me beyond belief. Anyone who knows you, anyone who knows the band knows like what a, like, probably the least non-likable person ever. So the fact that <laughs> the fact that people would be so have so much hate in their heart, have so much, whatever disdain. I don't even know what the fucking word is that they would literally put hands on you. And to see you kind of feeling those feelings that you've kind of felt your whole life, really like the protector in me wanted to kind of be like, fuck it like and i realized there was a couple times i literally was like, like commenting i was about to comment and go nuclear on some fucking people like commenting on going to the band page commenting and talking shit 
And then I realized because it was going to come from the band, I was like, I can't. I can't do that. Because that's not who you are. That's not authentically who you are. So I can't miss, I can't dilute the message of what the band is and who they are, the people that make up the band. And that's the only thing that stopped me from literally just going apeshit on people online. And then I realized that is exactly why I also don't want social media really anymore because it brings like it brings out this toxic environment in me like where i'm like i feel like i have to protect someone that doesn't need my protection yeah it's 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 a wild it's a wild thing i'm actually taking some some classes at msu and one of my classes is a journalism class and we're and we're uh studying social media but i mean yeah i mean you know the reason it's it's sad that i'm gonna say this but it's true it's the reason why I'm so nonchalant about it is because I'm just so used to it. You know, um, what happened then was we were in Council Bluffs, Iowa. It was like, I think, 2005 or something like that. And we were out on tour with Straight Line Stitch. We were doing a 42-day tour. Uh, it was our first time ever going out past, like, Iowa area going out, out west, you know, it was, it was super far off for us. We've never done a tour that long. We've done tours like two weeks or whatever, but never that long. And long story short, these guys come into the bar, they start beating everybody up. I go outside. I'm like, yo, what the fuck? You know, and they just basically just start dropping like the hard R. They're just like, get the fuck out of here, you dirty ass, whatever, whatever. And they just kept dropping the hard R. Now me, I've heard that a million times. I had a when I was in high school, I had a girl, I had a girlfriend whose dad was a super racist and was like, I don't want my daughter, like literally told me, I don't want my daughter dating a hard R, you know. And when I was growing up as a kid, I, you know, my, one of my nicknames from my bullies was Edward hard R scissor hands, but not scissor hands. You know, the thing like that, that was like my nickname. Uh, Brownie was my nickname. Uh, Beanpole spick, like uh, racism to me is just, it's just a way of life. Unfortunately is how I grew up with it. Uh, obviously it changed through the years, but, uh, you know, but that that was like they just started calling me names and they just started using all the hard R's. There was like four dudes and just me. And I was like, ah, I know martial arts, but I'm not an idiot and I'm not fucking Bruce Lee. So I'm not going to beat up four dudes. That's just not how this real life thing works. <laughs> so I turned around and I woke up and I was like on a gurn. I was like on a table and there's like a paramedic like over me. And I was like, what the fuck happened? Like, why does my head hurt so bad? And they proceeded to tell me what happened. And, you know, luckily Waylon saved my life, man. Waylon and our, and the tour manager at the time, whose name Splat, saved my life. Those dudes were literally trying to kill me. Like when they, I, what was told to me, because I don't remember anything past me turning around, what was told to me was I fell to the ground and they started stomping me. And Waylon and Jared and Waylon and Splat, who was the tour manager that jumped in and beat those guys up and they ran away and that's why i mean had they not been there i pro i would have been either a vegetable or worse you know what i'm saying like those dudes were aiming to kill me because i was a dirty hard art that was the thing now fast forward from that situation i get something in the mail that those dudes some of those dudes were arrested because not because of me but because they assaulted one of the the door guys at the show and they pressed charges then they found out about my story and they asked me if I wanted to press charges. And I was like, well, yeah, of course. And I wrote in to like the district attorney and that was it. Like 
they never did anything about it. And I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. Black guy, Hispanic black guy says something, nothing gets done. Like this is the system that I live in. I'm just used to this. This is fine. Like that, like none of those things are new to me. I have dealt with that all of my life, but I've also dealt with like the fact that I'm not black enough. Like I have had friends that are black that, you know, were like, you're not black. And I'm like, my grandmother, my mom, like, look at my mom's hair. Look at, look at my mom. Like, you're not black. And I'm like, okay, whatever. You know, it's like all my life I've spent, which I'm in therapy for this, like literally in therapy, I continue to talk about and realize just how much my childhood has affected who I am because all of my life I've just been trying to fit in and I can never fit in anywhere. No one wants to accept me for me. So I had to just be me and just deal with whatever consequences came from that. I wasn't accepted for being the small, little, skinny, brown, black kid. I got beat up for that. I wasn't accepted for not being black enough. I wasn't accepted for being not being Hispanic enough. I wasn't white. Like it just, it was, it would never, I never fit into anything. So for me, heavy metal and rock was the one place that like, the music spoke to me and I really felt like I could fit in. And that was like my thing, you know? So when people are like, Oh, you don't fit in. Like, I'm like, Oh, cool. Like this is, this is the same shit, different day kind of thing. And when you look at those things and you're like, you, you were coming in to sell your PS too. I have literally lived in home and like, I've literally been homeless and lived in a van that I bought for 500 bucks just to be in this band and to tour. Like I have done that. I have, I literally lived in an apartment where I stopped paying rent so that we could go play shows. And I would take an extension cord from the apartment that the electricity got turned off on and plug it in all the way at the end of the hall of that apartment complex, just so that I could have electricity. I I've gone without hot water in the middle of winter so that I could go on tours and shit like that. So it's, it's funny the the perception that people have and what they say and how they think, things are when they're really not but i mean yeah i mean like racism in this in this whole thing to me is nothing new like i've dealt with racism all of my life i've always been not good enough for anything you know so when people say shit like that to me it's like it doesn't even i'm nonchalant about it because it doesn't even affect me anymore i've just accepted it and i just deal with it and i talk about in therapy and that's just what it is because I can't change it. Like there's nothing else. The only thing that I can change is how we as a band, like take that and run with it. Right. Like I have someone in my band that is a hundred percent native American. Right. And that to us is also super important. At, at least it's important for me to put into our music in some aspect and into our arts in some aspect. We've made hoodies that are just straight up native American things. Like we've added native American songs to names. We've added native American sounds to some of our music because cultural identity is important, but that's part of hardcore to me where I grew up. Cultural identity is part of hard. Hardcore is, is making a statement and advocating for people's rights in general, for human rights. What's more hardcore than standing up for the minorities and speaking up? You ever hear the band Zulu? It's an all black no. hardcore band. Check that band out. They're fucking amazing. And it's a bunch of black dudes. One of them is, I, I want to say is either trans or queer, 
and like they stand for all of that stuff like there's a band called move from boston they're a hardcore band i absolutely love that band and they just all they talk about is you know slum lords and equal rights within the black community like you're listening to even a band that's not hardcore but like fire from the gods you know like aj that dude's always talking about you know things in the strife in the struggle of being black you have a virtue like damon who makes comments and talks about his so like that to me is all hardcore and like to, to when you hear things like oh you don't belong it's like no motherfucker you don't belong because you don't know what the culture's about <laughs> you know i think it's it's been interesting to think about that because i mean really i feel like from my perspective as someone who grew up granted I'm not at a point where i really i was aware of it because of things like you know mtv you know playing different stuff but also back in the days of you know more so tape tape trading you know going to see like you know growing up on the east coast we were kind of close to like philly some people had family in like massachusetts and in uh new york and so forth and so you'd have kids coming and being like i saw it more with with hip-hop personally where people would be like yo check out this like biggie thing check out onyx check out these things (laughs) and so it was one of those things like when I came out here to the Midwest, you know, and I've said this on the podcast a ton. I grew up from everything from like boys to men. I mean, granted, again, only like an hour away. And, you know, I remember like my neighbor playing NBA Live 95 and I thought he was so cool. This like, you know, tall black dude that I just wanted to be like because I thought he was just cool. He was like the older brother I didn't have. And, you know, he puts on the first Aaliyah record and I was like, yo, what the fuck is this? It's fine. And like change my like change my life. And I feel like I've had the same experiences with like, I could tell you where I was the, when I heard the first corn record, I was in the parchment library, public library. And this dude, Cody had it on those like old shitty, like early late eighties, early nineties headphones at all. Like those, uh, uh, libraries had with like the shitty fucking metallic, uh, things that go over your ears that adjusted. Yeah, and you could just yeah. hear everything because it was so loud and didn't like keep anything in. I remember just hearing this like cacophony of noise. And I was like, what the fuck is that? And he goes, corn check this out and i was like (laughs) like mind blown but like i don't the thing is is i went from a a city and in a time in my life where music of all kinds was so readily exchanged and then i moved out here more so to kalamazoo and kind of regionally the first thing that i was like shown that i was like oh okay i guess this is what you guys have was icp and i remember being like what the fuck is this (laughs) <laughs> like very weird introduction to something very local to, to Michigan at the time. Cause this is before they really were as big as they became. But it's interesting to think about a time when like you and I grew up. And I mean, I think you and I kind of experienced these things similarly, but completely different. Um, you know, cause I went from being in a school and being in an area where, you know, it might've been 70, 30 mix of, you know, white and black people or maybe 60, 40, then I literally moved to Kalamazoo and I had three black people in the entire school district. Like imagine what a culture shock that is. Yeah. That must've been weird. And you know, even still, like I remember again, cause it's just the internet wasn't what it is and you couldn't just readily get something when you wanted it. I remember having all like sports teams from where I lived and things very regional to where we lived. And I remember getting made fun of and picked on because I was wearing Washington Redskins stuff or Philadelphia Eagles stuff or, you know, the Phillies or whatever. Like, just like I said, regional teams to where I lived and getting picked on and bullied. And it's like because of 
like okay, like because the Lions are a team I like. Sure, and yeah. it's it's crazy because it, it's not. And I say this with like the the biggest grain of salt I can throw in here. It's not remotely the same as what you went through, but to experience something and the the cultural and geographical differences you go through just because you move and you're not you're not any different you're who you've always been but now you have to kind of find your way in a new community and really that's kind of i guess the overlapping overarching thing of this whole conversation is community and trying to find a place where you belong and everyone telling you you don't you know to kind of i guess Sort of, you know, a friend of mine, Dewey from Peer Pleasure Podcast, he says, you know, something that I've really been trying to take to heart the last few months uh, upon him expressing this thought where, you know, what makes this medium so good? And I'll even take it beyond podcasting and just say what makes relationships good, you know, friendships, whatever kind of relationship good. You have to give and take. You have to give a little bit of yourself so the other person can take and then feel like it's okay to then share with you because you've given a little bit of yourself you know, growing up with the cleft lip and palate and all that kind of stuff, <clears throat> and something I, I brought up when I went to therapy was, you know, I've never felt like I belonged since I was a kid because I'd go to these doctor's visits and so forth, and they'd feel like I have a sneeze coming on, so forgive me when that does inevitably happen. Um, <laughs> when I would go to <sighs> – there it is. Excuse me. When I would go to these, you know, annual visits, and they would have this fucking chart, and it'd be like, here's normal. You, here's you not normal here's what you're not gonna do here's what you're not gonna be able to do here's here's all these things and you're you realize from i'll at least say i can probably start remembering these things from like six five or six seven maybe that it's like you're being told that you're not as good as other people you're being compared to a larger group of people and you're well that you're not going to be as good as them that you're not normal compared to them and what do you think that's going to fucking do to someone like me, like mentally? Like I'm being told that like I'm not good, well, and yeah. like no wonder I have this weird imposter syndrome with most of my life. Like I kind of narrowed it down to that even before therapy, but therapy kind of was the thing where I realized like, you know, it was always why don't you feel like you're deserving of these things? Why don't you feel like you're good enough? Why don't you feel this? And I go, I guess it boils back down to that, like being told that at such a young age from a professional, quote unquote, that I'm not. That I'm not gonna do these things that other people get to do because That's I've been stuff. I've I've been set behind for because of how I was born. Literally how I was born, nothing to do with me. And yeah. That's fucked up. And I've taken it with me and I'm almost 40 now. So it's like, how do you how would I not become heavily tattooed and looking different? Because it's the only way I've ever felt like I, I feel normal and can be myself in my own body. Dude, I, I relate hundred percent. You know what I'm saying? Like, you know, that's why you know, I remember specifically being a kid. I remember being 16 years old and and being a huge fan of Silverchair at the time and thinking to myself, I want to get my eyebrow pierced because maybe then I'll be cool and people will accept me. And I remember being 16 and going, well, if I just get tattoos and I cover my skin, maybe I'll be accepted by other people. Like that was specifically why I wanted tattoos because I didn't want to be my skin color anymore. I didn't want to have and i still to this day like as a 40 year old male i still look at my skin and i go fuck none of this isn't covered up enough i need it i need more covered up because i just i need to be different i, I don't want to be this like and it sounds insane saying that out loud but the things that we experience when we're kids really fucks us up man like 
it really does. Like I can, I can totally relate to what you're saying because it's absolutely true. You spend all this time having people tell you, well, you know, for better or lack of a better term, you suck, be someone else. And yeah. you're like, okay, I suck. How can I be someone else? And then you sort of like mold into whatever you are. And then you, you have this, like you said, this imposter syndrome of like trying to figure out who you are and you have no idea. I mean, for me, like, and I had said this to my therapist just recently in my last session, I was talking to my therapist and, uh, you know, we were having a conversation and I said, you know, my, my wife gave me my kid and he, like my son, he, and he just, he loves every time he sees me, he like reaches out for me and just cries uncontrollably until I, until I hold him. And she's like, he loves you so much. And in that moment, without thinking, I said, I don't know why I haven't done anything to earn that. And she just kind of looked at me and started crying. And she's like, he's your son. And I was just like, I don't know what you mean. Like, I literally said, I don't understand. I haven't done anything to earn this from him. And I told that to my therapist. And she just kind of stared at me with this like look of like, what is wrong with you? And I was like, that's what I'm here for you for. Because I don't know what this means. You know, and she's like, and she's like, you know, we've been really delving into your childhood and things like that. And, you know, if you really think about it, where do you think that comes from? And I'm like, well. It, you know, if I had to think about it, it comes from every single day, just being picked on every single day, being picked on uncontrollably every single day, being made to feel like I wasn't good enough. And as I grew up still feeling those things and still feeling like the outsider, you know, you, you, you take that with you and, and it becomes sort of this thing that's larger than life. And, and then you get to adulthood and then you start, you know, you're, you're an artist and you start making art and you realize like, you know, you can put that into your art and then you're like, okay, I belong. <laughs> and then like, you still don't. And you're like, what the fuck is wrong with everything in this world that we know? And, but at the end of the day, you know, I think for me, the the saving grace, you were saying like, you weren't uh, exposed to a lot of things when you came to Michigan because Michigan didn't have it, but you were exposed to a shitload of stuff because you were coming from a big city I no, I was not. I'll, I'll preface that I was oh, not coming from a big city. It was not coming from Delaware. Is not a big city. <laughs> gotcha, gotcha. So yeah, so you really hadn't been exposed to some of this stuff, right? As yeah. to for me, I grew up in Miami, Florida, which is ninety percent Cuban American, and the other percent is like black. Like I want to say it's like eighty percent Cuban or something like that, or Hispanic, and then like another ten percent like black, and then the rest is like whatever else is around, you know, white people are literally the minority, you know? Yeah. So in Miami growing up, I had all these preconceived notions of what white people were and what, uh, what Americans were, right? Because even though I was born in Puerto Rico, even though I have my American passport, even though I, my dad is American Italian, was born in Jersey city, raised in Puerto Rico. I have never felt American, because when I got to America, the first thing that I experienced in America was fucking racism. Like that was like the first fucking thing that happened to me. Right. And so I grew up in a city where there's all sorts of different cultures and, and colors and everything else. And then I came to Michigan and mind you, this was, I come from, like I said, like all of my white friends weren't white. They were Cuban. 
and even my my one white friend, we were like, nah, that motherfucker's Cuban no matter what. Like he's an honorary <laughs> Cuban. We just made him Cuban, right? So I I love telling this particular story because it was my friend TJ, his mom and his dad and him and his family are are like white American. Like they're really now his dad and his mom and his family grew up very religious. Uh, like I genuinely thought that all white people were like TJ's parents. They went to church every Sunday. His mom was literally Betty homemaker. She would put on the apron and like make <laughs> on Sundays and always bake. Like I genuinely thought that's what white women and men were. Like I just thought that and I got to Michigan and I was fucking terrified. I was like, I'm going to be around white people all of my life. I don't what do I do? How do I, how do I behave? Like, what do I have to do? And in certain aspects, I had to change who I was yet again, because I needed to fit into a system that I wasn't belonging to. I couldn't, you know, I was in my classes at MSU and I was like, yo, like this motherfucker right over here. He's just like, and I was having my urban speak and, and, you know, you know, using the words that I would use every day back home in Miami, talking to my friends and people in class were looking at me weird. And like, they wouldn't, I couldn't make any friends because all the girls thought I was creepy because I'd always kiss them on the cheek. And it was like, but that's just normal culture for me. So it was like all my life, it's been this like struggle to like try and belong somewhere where I just don't belong. You know what I'm saying? So like, I, I get what you're coming from. You know, you're like, Oh, it wasn't anything like yours. Yeah, it wasn't. But at the same thing it is because there's a commonality there where you just don't feel like you fit in. You've been told all your life, you're not this. So you're just never going to be this. And you're like, but I feel like this, but why am I not? You know? And it's, it's, it's a, it's a weird thing. And then you get into music to bring it all around. And it's this community where we're all supposed to be like, we all just love music. We're all just musicians. We all love music. We all love things. Like you said, I love the fact that you were like, you were tape trading and shit, dude. That is, do you remember uh Columbia house? Do you remember that shit at all? BMG and Columbia. House and all that. Yep. Yeah. BMG. Right. So all of my friends in Miami, we had a BMG, uh, uh membership and that's we would literally just buy cds and like trade them with each other and that's how i discovered so many bands and then so to to come you know into the hardcore scene and then start a band that isn't really hardcore but has hardcore roots and then being told like fuck you you're not hardcore like you don't belong here it's kind of like i don't that doesn't compute to me you know it's really interesting because like <clears throat> another thing, you know, being on your guys's email threads for a lot of things, being, you know, able to access and, and see things from the socials. Um, it's interesting to kind of see that side of the industry for us, for a smaller band. Cause there's, there's what I've kind of learned from doing this show for almost six years, the friends that I've gained in different facets of the industry from, you know, managers to techs to, you know, front of house people to, you know, whatever. And it's been interesting to kind of see some of the things that like, you know, you guys are going through and really, I, I guess as I'm thinking about it now, this almost kind of started with the irate fest thing. Um, because I, 
like I said, with not having Facebook with a lot of stuff, I, I kind of take in a lot of information in like maybe 30 minutes. Like if I get up and I need to do something for the podcast and post on the Facebook or whatever, I'll just kind of quickly browse through and, and see like if I'm missing yeah. anything big. But there's a lot of shit I miss. So like I missed all of the shit show of Irate Fest until I happened to go through and get the email of you guys with the, the event person that was putting it on the organizer. And I'm kind of like learning about it. And I'm like, oh shit, I just read something on like Lamb Goat or whatever about like this thing just becoming a dumpster fire in the last like three days. And, you know, I was kind of thinking about it from a different perspective, you know, and, and I'll probably blame watching, you know, the, the two Woodfest 99 documentaries and the Firefest documentaries and, you know, just the, the world's fascination with building something up only to shit on it on the internet. And, <laughs> it it was this thing where I was thinking about how, again, kind of this, you know, a lot of times you see the comments on tour ad mats like, oh, this band's not coming here. No one ever comes and plays my city. And it's this really crazy thing occurred to me where I was like, isn't it fucked up that like, here's this small city thing actually putting on a pretty good festival for inaugural festival. And Instead of people getting behind it, all they did was point to why it was problematic. Well, look at the site. It's behind a dollar store. Okay. You mean to tell me the first time, like the first Telfest in New York, like when they did that and it's just like in this weird ass like building, like people weren't like this thing fucking sucks or look at Dirt Fest or look at Furnace Fest even. Furnace Fest. You mean to tell me you're going to go play like an old furnace making factory? That sounds fucking stupid. Let me tell you why that shouldn't work. But we look on it with revisionist history, and now we're like, it's so cool that it's there. Look at all this. It's a destination fest. It's all these things. And we didn't give this thing, and I understand there's more problematic parts of the story that I'm not talking about, because and that's sort of like what politics do. Let's let's steer away from the thing that we don't want to talk about to highlight the thing <laughs> that pushes our narrative. But it was really making me think about how here is this person who was probably not connected to the music industry really at all from what I've gathered. The person that was his partner was a bunch of shit started happening with that person. And now here's this guy trying his best to, to make this thing still happen. Um, and without getting into too many specifics, you know, I kind of looked at it as a very admirable try. Like at one point the band had bought on to be on the festival. And yeah. then this guy was like, I'm going to refund you your money. I'm going to move you to a different thing, give you a better slot. Like he was trying to make it work. And was trying to do things to where I felt like it was going to ensure that this festival actually did well. I don't know if I lost Alfonso. I realize he's frozen. Maybe I am. Let's see if this picks up here in a second. Is it Alfonso or is it me? If anyone can comment, that's I know there's like a 30-second lag. If anyone can comment, am I frozen or is it Alfonso? I can hear Alfonso. Yeah, okay. sorry. Sorry about that. Oh, nope. So um, it was one of those things where I kind of was like, this is kind of quintessential. Like, instead of people trying to be like, let's support this thing for trying to be something for all of us and, and be another avenue for us to support bands and do a bunch of stuff. Everyone was so quick to fucking turn it down and then just keep heaping onto it. And it's like, Man, this like not to sound stupid, but it's like this is why we can't have nice things because you don't give anything the opportunity to yeah, yeah, to become anything. Sure. We just shoot on it so quickly. 
And For sure. so that was kind of the first straw. And actually, I was trying to, to get with that guy and have him come on the show because I was interested in finding out what happened. Like, how does it go from something that seems like it's going to be awesome to then in a matter of like days, like maybe 36 hours, just gone. And now it's like the yeah. laughing stock of the Internet. And yeah. it's just created this toxic environment. Like, what goes into that? What does it look like behind the scenes? And sadly, that that conversation didn't happen. It may eventually, I don't know. But it was one of those things where that happened, and then here comes this Furnace Fest thing. And to literally kind of see how quickly even that was turning against everybody and seeing how it was clear that a certain a certain few selected few were picked as, well, this is what the fest is. This is what it represents. And it's like, you know, I, I me being me, me being into wrestling, professional wrestling, me being into marketing to a degree, I wanted to go so many different ways with this. And, and I think, you know, all of the people here will find this amusing at one point when we kind of realized that bands were literally bands that weren't going to win were literally seemingly, working together to make one of the bands beat yeah. Heartsick, we had the idea at one point to throw the whole fucking competition and throw it and throw it and tell all of you to vote for the other band that they didn't want yeah. in like the last 20, 30 minutes and was one of those or, or like in the last like hour or two or whatever. And I was like, fuck it. Let's, let's torch this. Let's, let's do this. Let's make them remember Heartsick for ruining their fucking gatekeeping competition bullshit. And was one of those where I was like, let's do that. Secondly, I was like, how about we win this goddamn thing and then use this and lean into it as Furnace Fest most hated band from the internet or whatever. Like at one point, I literally told Alfonso in our group text, I was like, here's what you do. When, you, when we win, because he's like, we're going to make one big push. We're going to make one last big push and we're going to win this. And I was like, okay, so when you win, here's your statement video. Everyone tried telling us what we were. What we are is playing Furnace Fest. See you there. <laughs> Video's done. That's it. Then I wanted to create a line of shirts either with some of the shitty, like, gatekeepy posts and make those a limited run of shirts, you know, black out people's names and such, and just yeah. be like, heart like the internet, like, Furnace Fest most hated band on the internet or something like that. I was like, let's fucking run with this. <laughs> because that's, Dude, that's wow. where, like, where I'm like, if you don't want to embrace me, fine, fuck it. Let that be what, let that be the thing that we're known for then. Yeah, like I thought that I, I thought all that stuff was like was just hilarious. Like our conversation just kept getting more like hilarious as we like kept talking about it because it was it was so weird that like for like the day and a half we were like at like 70 votes, so like just way ahead of the curve, right? We're like, okay, cool, cool, like we're coasting, we're coasting, we're coasting. And then for whatever reason, like the demeanor of some of like the old gatekeepers in that community were just getting more and more and more pissed, just more pissed, more pissed, more pissed. It was like, you could literally see like someone having like a meltdown in real time on the internet. Like these people were just melting down even more. And we're like, uh, let's just be nice. And like, Hey, like give, like I, I got into the group and I started using the band page and being like, okay, well, if you're going to say this, I want you to back it up on why, like someone literally said, and I, I approached them and I knew that it threw them off. Somebody literally said, 
I'll do anything just to not let this band win. Like they literally said that. And I, so I was like, damn, that's, that's savage as fuck. So I was like, that's what you do for a Klondike bar. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So I was like, all right, well, I mean, if you're going to put it out there in the group, let's talk about it. So I like, I went in there and I was like, Hey, like, you know, like, why would you go up against the band? Like I have such a negative view towards a band that, you know, stands for, you know, advocating for women of sexual abuse, sexual assault, rape. Why would you go up against a band that is at that advocates for, you know, recovering addicts that, you know, all the things that we do, like all of the things that we are as a band that really is authentic to us. Why are you so negative to that? And over the music, like it doesn't make any sense to me. Let's have a real conversation. And you could tell in the response that they had that they were not expecting to be challenged on this idea that they have. And then they, you know, then this like the, the hamster starts spinning in the wheel and they have to like fucking figure out what bullshit they're going to say, you know? And it was just like, but you could see it like in real time devolving. And then it's like the last hour it went from like, we had this like crazy, like good lead to torch it all down. (laughs) Like just plunged. And we like, we were like, how is this happening? And we started doing like data analytics search and we were like, Oh shit. Like they're literally, because one of the group members was like, you know, they, they put what the rules were to sort of try and calm down the people having an issue. But one of the rules was you can change your vote. And I think when people started noticing them, they were like, Oh fuck that. And then like on that, like last hour and a half, you could literally see all the votes going away from specific bands and going to like another band and then going to that. That band, you're like, oh, I see what's happening. Which, you know, at the like, listen, at the end of the day, it's just a competition. We know that it's just for fun. We know that it isn't. Serious. That's why I didn't take any offense to that. That's why I was just like, our whole team just kind of like laughed it off and just was like, whatever. But the conversation <laughs> that we were having was, yeah, it was hilarious because we were like, we really were going to be like, if we really win this, we're 100% going to fucking shove this straight in their faces that day we're just gonna like make these shirts or like do something like i was on board like me you and shane were like super on board with it you know well i think the thing that too that was like getting probably wasn't helping was like i was wasn't drinking i was actually smoking which usually makes me more like calm (laughs) and chill and instead i was just getting all fired up and i was like you know what you know what how about we win this thing and then go fuck it? We don't want to play your stupid gatekeeping festival. <laughs> this other band can have it, but know that they're only playing because we gave it to them. Like fucking eat that. I was like, I realized like I have learned in the last year because like I have adopted this mentality this year. I came into 2022 going, I'm matching energies this year. I'm matching energies with people. And I mean, it goes both ways. If people are super nice to me, I, I match that energy back. For sure. But what's been a really interesting experience is what's been a really interesting experience has been matching negative energy with negative energy. And I know that's the low road to take, but I, it's been interesting because I've, I've always done the killing them with kindness thing and it only gets yeah. you so far and it doesn't yeah, change how people will true. treat. That's true. Yeah. That's true. So there has been times like, you know, I was telling, uh, I was telling Andrew from uh, Dance Gavin when they were playing in Detroit. And it was funny because we were at the same bar. This happened eating before the show. And I go, so he was like, oh, this is a cool little bar, you know, really cool little spot. I was like, yeah, last time I was here, we were here for being as an ocean. 
and we came after the show because our hotel was literally right across the street and this lady was being a fucking bitch and was just like smashing her credit card on the bar and the bartender obviously if you've never been to a bar you don't do that that's not how you get a bartender's attention or snapping or doing a million other things yeah and so the bartender walks by me who i'm like two people away from this lady and she he goes can i help you i go i think she needs help a little bit more than me go ahead and help her i can wait and he's like that's not how it works like i know i was just trying to be nice so then we kind of keep making fun of fun of that patron and patrons like that. So at the end of the night, she comes up to me and she goes, what's your name? And I was like, oh, my name's John. She goes, oh, well, you seem like a real fucking asshole and I hope you die tonight. And I just kind of looked at her and I was like, oh, my I was, God. Oh, yeah. And I go, well, it's going to be pretty much impossible because I'm walking and I just have to get across the street. And it's a one way, so I probably am going to be completely fine. I go, did you or your friends drive here tonight? And she goes, yeah. And it's snowing its ass off, like real bad snowstorm. And I go, did you guys drive? And she goes, yeah. And I go, oh, well, then you're really making more terrible decisions than I am. And I was like, you're still here. And I was like, so I hope you get into a fucking accident and die tonight. And she like <laughs> lost her shit and was like, oh, my God, how could you say that to me? Blah, blah, blah. And I go. You literally just like I just pulled the old Pee Wee Herman. I'm rubber. You're glue bullshit. And like now you're mad at me for literally saying the same thing you just told me. Like, what the fuck? And it was interesting because every time this year that something like that's happened and I met someone's negative energy with with whatever they're basically saying, it's shocking to see how people don't like don't like it. And they seem so shocked that I'm saying it back to them. And it's like, what did you expect? And I think the bigger thing and the bigger thing that I've talked about and I'm going to, I'll get off the social media high horse after I say this, but I think social media has created people who a feel like they can talk shit and literally nothing will come of it because that's, you can anonymous anonymously say shit. And what are you going to do about it? Secondly, we've created a world where people can curate the world that they want. If I don't like you, boom, you're blocked. You don't exist. I don't want to see this. I can curate the world as I want to see it. And I'm not, I'm not saying people are snowflakes and can't handle fucking life. But what I will say is that I think it's created a, I don't want to even say a generation. I think it's created a bunch of people who curate a world that is not how the real world is. And when they can't handle it, they don't handle it well or at all. And I think that's been a bigger thing that I'm seeing is that it's, creating this kind of really toxic environment where it's if i don't agree with you and you don't agree with me well then you're you're to blame you're the problem and you need to be removed and it's all on you and they take no ownership of of their hand in it they're not willing to be they're not willing to learn they're not willing to have arguments and disagreements and try to see people and meet people halfway i'll at least say this like it's been interesting getting older and growing up in a world where so much has changed, not not just from me getting older, you getting older, the world we live in, but literally how we have to interact with each other now. And I'm not saying that having people who feel safe and feel that they can be who they are authentically can and then, you know, I, I want to be called a, a, you know, here are my pronouns. I'm not saying that those things are bad. I, I think it's great that people are able to become more who they are. I actually just said the other day, I feel like I'd rather be a young teenager now because i feel like i could be a hundred percent who i am or was and i'm in an environment where it's more conducive to doing such but i think the thing that i would put more stock and value in as being my age now living through the life i did is that i had to learn that 
not everything is catered to me and I have to fucking traverse the world with other people who don't agree with me and that you can either, well, you can kind of be an asshole and be like a racist with that, that that's how you think and feel. But more importantly, if you're a pretty level headed person and can kind of deal with discourse that sometimes you can actually learn a lot from the unknown or things that you're scared of or afraid of and learn what the world really is beyond just your little bubble of what you have growing. Like that's where real growth happens as a person is learning about the world around you. Yeah. I mean, you know, it, it's funny that you say that because my approach to it is obviously still being, uh, you know, quote unquote nice, but really challenge people. You have to. I've learned that a lot of the times when people say something specifically on the Internet, they just think that they're going to like say it and it's just going to like it's going to be done. And some people just let that happen. Or what ends up happening is like people are just like it, it devolves. Right. It's like. Like like the Spence thing. <laughs> if you were if you were following anything that happened with that David Spence guy in my Facebook, it was insane. Oh, right? Yeah, yeah. This this goes into like you know this dude's calling me all sorts of names, blah blah blah, and I'm just like, okay, well that's fine, but just meet me outside here and we can just talk about it then. But it it never gets to that, right? So for me, the way that I challenge people in that aspect, I don't. I, I don't want to meet, I don't want to meet their energy on the same level when it comes to negativity. Not that I think that that's a wrong approach. It's just, it's not something that I feel comfortable in because I don't, I just don't, I have a really hard time being mean to people. It just, it just feels terrible for me. It's something that I'm still working on in therapy. It just, I feel a lot of guilt in general in my life, just for everything. It's, it's, it's a thing that I just have to deal with and, and talk to in therapy. So for me, Hold on just a second. Because I want to bring this up because I think it is an interesting yeah. counterpoint to what you're saying. When I'm saying these things, there's not really any maliciousness in my heart when I'm saying it. I'm literally just – I'm hoping – the point is if I literally say the thing back to the person, I hope they realize like, like, okay, so you saw how I handled it, which was to throw it right back at you. Now all of a sudden you're mad. You're upset. You're yeah, offended. No, yeah, and, yeah. It's, and it's more of like all I'm doing is what you just did to me. And you saw that I didn't react the way you are. So why is it okay for you to come to me yeah. and then not expect any retaliation, anything back? Think about this. Let this be a learning experience of how you treat others and, and literally treat others how you want to be treated. So if you Make treat someone like shit and then I treat you like shit, then it's like, what did you expect? This should be a learning experience for you on how not to be. Think think a little bit bigger picture than just here's my like being mean. I'm not trying to be mean. Yeah, I'm just yeah. literally hoping that they like you do. I'm hoping to challenge your thought process. I want you to understand what you're doing is not, it's not good for you to be a, a no, good yeah, person. For sure. For sure. Like in real life, that's the best thing to like, I think you're doing a good thing in doing that for me. Like my, the, the, the funny thing for me is a lot of the things that people say to me on the internet because they know me from the band, they would never say to my face ever at all. I know they won't because no. anytime they, I literally know people that have shit talked me and like, I'm going to fucking kick your teeth in. I'm like, okay, come try it. And they see me in person. They're like, Hey, what's up, man? How you doing? How's the band? Can I get you to sign this? And I'm like, Oh, okay. You know, but so on the internet, the approach that I always take is kind of like, okay, well then tell me why, tell me why this is like, these are the things. And of course, it just devolves into that too, you know? So it's like, 
you're right. Like the internet has created this sort of idea in people's minds that then transfers into the real world that we're somewhat untouchable. Like, well, they're not really going to do anything because there's rules and shit. And then you're like, yeah, but there really isn't because you're going to say some wrong shit and some dude is going to fucking split your shit real quick. You know what I'm saying? Like, so, but at the same time, like you said, it also creates things where like people just get really out of hand. Well, I'm fucking offended, you know? And it's like, okay, like I get that. Like that's, that's okay. But we still have to have a conversation about it because we can't just say, all right, well then that was it. And now fuck that person. It's like, well, we have a society that works, works a particular way. If we abandon the way that society works completely and just go with this new thing without even like giving the part of the society that we've built up a chance and and just reform it, then it's really not, it's not going to be any different. It's just going to change in 10 years because it's a fucking extreme too, right? Like there are things right now in our society that are still laws that were extremes from like 50, 60 years ago. They're not working. That's why we need to reform them. <laughs> right. So, but if we yeah. do the same thing with this other thing where it's like, well, fuck you, you can't, it's like, well, I mean, like, you know, like people were really mad. Let's take the example of uh, Dave Chappelle and the whole like thing that he went through. Right. I- I'm a big Dave Chappelle fan. I love a lot of his, his comedy where some of the things that he said were obviously fucking a little bit out of, in my opinion, like out of his personality wise. Yeah, for sure. But at the same time, it is comedy it's we have to look at things in context and a lot of people were like oh well fuck that guy and they're like really trying to get on his shit and trying to make that guy apologize for something that he didn't feel he needed to apologize for because he didn't feel he said anything that was all that was like deserving of an apology and because people didn't get what they wanted from him they went after him even harder and i look at this situation as somebody who hundred percent believes in trans rights and gay rights and stand up with all my people for that. But I also look at like realistically what the conversation was and I'm like, ah, uh, you know, like we really just need to have a conversation about this and figure out where the middle ground is. And I think that's your whole point. We're not getting a middle ground anymore. We're just going no. to extremes, you know, yeah. we're going to like these crazy fucking extremes of like, fuck you, you're not a hardcore band, you don't belong here, or fuck you, you're a complete fucking homophobe, you don't fucking belong, or fuck you, you're, like, and it's like, ah, hold on, <laughs> like, we're getting a little bit crazy, wait, <laughs> like, let's have a conversation, like, we can talk about this, but at the same time, I feel like a lot of that stuff was, ex- like, expanded by the fact of the leadership that we have had. Now, I feel like we've sort of tapered that down a little bit, but we still need to find a way to have these conversations, which is why in that conversation, I was like, okay, well, tell me why you'll do anything to not let us win. Tell me why. Yeah. And they can't, Yeah, (laughs) you know? Well, I mean, at the end of the day, I think the thing that really was funny to me was it was like, well, people who aren't going shouldn't vote. And it's like, you know, the analogy I used is I was like, that would be like saying I can't support a sports team because I'm not going to go to any of their games this year. So I can't be a fan. <laughs> I can't support yeah, them. Like, like oh, okay. Yeah. Just because I don't live in Atlanta, I can't I can't support the Braves and they don't play anywhere around me. Like, So I can't be a Braves fan then? Oh, okay. Then I guess yeah. I have to stop because I can't go to a game. But, 
Yeah, to me, a lot of that too, though, it seems like what it feels like. Like I said, I'm 40. I'm 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 like an elder millennial, right? Like I'm 40, but it also feels like my generation and like the the older people like me and then like my parents' generation are really the ones like pushing this crazy type of shit, like to you know, like well, well, all fucking young people are lazy and fuck these people and they don't work. And it's like, nah, that's not it either. Like they're just realizing that the advantages that you had don't exist anymore. And we have to make an advantage now for ourselves. So you're the one that said work smarter, not harder. And now the younger generation is working smarter, not harder, but you're like, they don't want to fucking work. And it's like, that's not it either. Like you're just out of touch with how things are working now. Like, you know, I don't think that the younger generation is lazy or motivated. I think they're just trying to figure out how they're going to traverse the world that we live in now, how they're going to traverse deep racism that's just hidden. Like we if, if the Trump era taught us anything is that racism still really exists. It's just like it just it's underground. Right. Like that's really what it is, you know. Uh, how do we, yeah. Right. Like underground. Like, let's, let's keep our, let's keep our, let's keep our racism, like our hardcore music underground. <laughs> yeah. Right. Like how do we traverse, you know, the younger generation is now dealing with how do we traverse, you know, jobs? Like, I'm sorry, but there is no 21 year old that I know that can get out of school and out of college and just work one job. That's just not fucking possible. Like no. it, it just isn't, you know? So they're looking at guys like you and me, uh, and then their parents and then their grandparents are like, like, we can't do what they did. We have to work to like all of my friends, every single one of my friends at my age has two jobs right now, two. And we're and we're 40. And so most of us either went to college or tried to get some education and have careers, but we're still not making enough money. Imagine what like these 20 something year olds are going through. Right. Like, so it's like. There's extremes on all ends, but I feel like one particular spectrum of that extreme is really pushing the extreme further because they don't understand how the world works now because they're so far removed from how things are now because they don't have that uh, that that foresight because they've got their pensions, they've got their social security they made their money in investments and they had all this other shit, but we're like, yo, we fucking just had to pay our whole way through school and have to pay like 500 a month in student loans and still have to pay for daycare and shit. Like I can't do that. You know? And then the younger generation from us is like, yo, like I can't even find a job with my, you know, my social, like my social studies degree because it's fucking everything's paying me eight bucks an hour and rent is like, $800 a month. Like, how do I do this? You know, we're experiencing all those things. And when you really look at how societies have worked and transformed about every 50 to like 75 years, we go through this sort of uh, transition in society. That's why we had the hippie movement in the seventies and the sixties. That's why we had like the greaser movement back in the fifties and shit. Like it just kept expanding because one generation was dying off. One generation was existing and one generation was getting older and none of them knew 
how to communicate. And I think we're going through that again. We're going through, you know, our grandparents are like now in their 80s and 90s and they just don't understand the world. You know, our parents are like in their 60s and 70s and they're like, well, it wasn't this hard for us. And then like us at our 40s are like, this shit sucks. And then the 20 year olds are like, I have no idea how I'm going to make it to 40, you know, and like nobody knows how to coexist. So we start getting this extremes like, well, fuck this and and all these other people. And it's like we need to have conversations, you know, and it's to bring it all around. That's why I think it's funny when people say you don't belong. And it's like, no, it's that you don't understand what belonging actually means. You don't know what the middle ground is. You just think that you're entitled to X, Y, and Z and X, Y, and Z is only yours, period. And anybody else who doesn't want X, Y, and Z can just go fuck off. And it's like, that's not how we work. Like there is tons of us that need to figure out how we're going to get together and, and, and figure this out. Right. And it's like, and you look at a community like that and you're like, you're only going against your principles. You know, you're only going against what you say you stand for. You know, it, it makes no sense to me. And it's, it's weird. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's, we live in a, in a weird time where none of us really can gauge where we're going because every, a lot of things feel extreme and a lot of people just feel comfortable, like being like, fuck you, John on the internet, your podcast sucks. And you're like, Oh, well, fuck you too. You suck at life. And they're like, how dare you? And you're like, no, how dare you? <laughs> yeah. It's a, uh... It's interesting that uh, that whole thing just kind of felt like the internet boiled down where it was like, oh, I'm not getting my way. So now let's let's fuck everything up and just kind of whatever, which, you know, honestly, speaking of communities and Internet communities and all that kind of stuff, I feel like this is is to kind of wrap things up because I'm going to go hang out with my wife uh, since we've been talking for like two hours Um, and you have your (laughs) wife and baby to get back to. it's one of those things where, you know, like I said, we've been talking behind the scenes a lot about how, how do we make the band something beyond what it is? How do we start reaching these next levels? How do we start, you know, making things that seem unattainable, attainable? How do we start making them honestly more cost efficient? And much to the behest of, of Alfonso, something I had thrown out a while ago that we're, we're kind of getting to the point of, with the bands and you know, I hate to say that it, it, it's, it boils down to money, but honestly it does. Um, we're it starting does. a page. We're starting a Patreon uh, yep. for the band. And yep. I've been building that over the last probably week or two uh, with various tiers. We're kind of trying to make it to where it's not really going to break anyone's bank. If you go to like the, the top tier, uh, I think right now, I think I have it set at like 30 bucks, which sounds like a lot and it is, but it's, it's really for the people who have the money to invest in but unlike a podcast patreon where i have to create all this extra shit that like i literally have to come up with and then feel like an asshole when i'm like man i work kick my ass and i just don't have time to sit there for 45 minutes and do this extra thing you know a band has other people and other things so it's like going to include you know demos of stuff that like haven't been released ever we have we actually tonight right before we started this we're working on an exclusive t-shirt for the patreon people we are you know meet and greet like extra vip meet and greets which i know like i hate to say it like this where it's like the the band is so accessible that i hate to be like we're going to charge you to hang out with the band it's really not going to be that but it's going to be 
really dedicated one-on-one time because if you've ever if you've ever hung out with any of the guys, they're all over the fucking place. Waylon and Jerry <laughs> usually operating somewhere in the van. Alfonso's doing a million things to make sure the show's about to get ready to go. And really what it really the thing that I kind of wanted to do with it is I wanted to, and I've been saying this all along, and all of you guys, gals, people that are behind this band that have been supporting this band this whole time, you're literally why I came up with this idea because I I said, you know, like I'm just gonna really put this out there and I'm not gonna say whose it is, but there is a festival that the band is getting to play. They have a radius clause of 300 miles and nothing, I think, was it 60 or 90 days after the festival, 30 days after the festival, you can't play within that range pre leading up to that fest and 30 or like a month or two after the festival. And for a band of heart six size, not being able to play shows leading up to 300 miles can really, that's a long, long distance to go where yeah. you can't make yeah, any money on your way there or back. And so we were that trying is. to figure out a way to where the fans can literally affect and help start offsetting these costs that the band has, you know, between recording costs. Like that's the one thing I'll at least say with a Patreon page for a band is that it literally, it literally helps the band in so many ways. Like you may think you're $1 or $3 or $5 or 20 or whatever. You may not think it actually is doing anything, but if enough of you, you've all seen what you all can do when you get together and, and pull together. Now imagine from a financial standpoint, if you just gave a little bit of that, that would allow the band to put like pay for the music videos that they do faster. You get to see those faster. You get to hear a new record faster because I'll tell you what, when we went to Atlanta last year, I heard the whole album that you, there's still shit. I think I've heard that you haven't, that hasn't even come out yet and probably won't. Yeah. And I was going to say, and probably won't for another, because of the rate of having to pay it off in, in increments, in addition to everything else that the band has for costs, it's just a way to actually get everything that's coming down the pipeline way faster. And if we can kind of all mobilize and help the band financially, it's, it's only going to benefit literally everyone that's a fan of the band and literally the band members themselves. And we're also trying very, 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 very hard to add value to what the band is doing. Like you think that they give away shit now. I think, I think Shane even made a comment. He's like, yeah, all these tiers are cool. I I think we're going to lose money eventually (laughs) on all of these (laughs) with the stuff that we're going to be giving away. And I was like, yeah, but I don't know. That's all. Isn't that the ethos of the band too? Is like, it's, it's not necessarily the money, but you have to spend money to make money and all that kind of stuff. So I'm, uh, I'm very much looking forward to to launching this. I, I think, It'll be, we're trying to make sure that like when we actually launch this, there's actually stuff in there day one. So you're getting your, your ROI, but it's a, uh, it's one of those things where I'm really excited to see what this does because I, I think for as much trepidations as Alfonso has had about asking for money or people donating money, however you want to phrase it. I do think that it becomes this thing where I think the community that the band has, has built will rally and support the band in this in this situation but i think it will also really and here's what i'm i'm most excited about i think it's going to bring more of the community together within themselves you're going to have people who don't know each other that are going to start communicating with some of the patreon hangouts and some of the other content that we're looking at doing 
and it's going to build more friendships. It's going to it's going to expand your own network through like-minded people and stuff like that. And that's honestly what I'm most excited about with this is everyone already knows you have the the one thing that you all already have in common, which is supporting Harnstick and liking them or the guys. So now let's take that a step further and we can build our own community and so forth. And that's what I'm excited about with it. I, I don't know about Alfonso uh, personally, how he feels about it. You know, like it's, it's funny because you and Shane have had to like 100% like hold my hand through this. I'm like the, the, the scared kid trying to jump off a ledge. I'm like, I can't do it. I can't do it. You guys are like, dude, it's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Like you guys have had to do so much coaxing to me and like talk to me about why the reasons why we should really be doing this and why we should be really looking into this, you know, and, and the more I've thought about it, it's true because the band's ethos is really DIY. Like at this point, we're just like, fuck it. No one wants us. We're just going to take this shit anyway. And the community that we have and that we've built with all the people on our Facebook and our social medias and stuff like that, that really get behind us and really believe in us. I'm like, well, this is, to me, that's really the only way. Like if those people can be like, you need to pay attention to this band and stop being a bunch of fucking morons and really listen to this. That's how it's going to happen. And so I've become more and more receptive to it. And honestly, I think it's really cool because I also have become more like, Oh wow, we can get really like creative with this and get really artsy with it and be really fun. And we can incorporate the dudes. Like, I feel terrible for Shane because, and I feel bad for people at shows because it's trying to get us together at a show. Whenever, like you said, is like poor Shane is like trying to wrangle squirrels. Like it's an impossible <laughs> task. You're never going to catch all of us at the same time, right? And also, you don't get to re- really know. That's us a shirt idea. Hold on. <laughs> manifesting this. That's a that's a that's a Patreon shirt idea. I caught them all, and it's all of you as Pokemon. <laughs> Right. Yeah. Right. So it's like also the all of the dudes are so different. Like like I said, like when we started this podcast, Waylon, Jared and Jake don't really use sh- hurting cats. Yeah. Like Waylon, Jared and Jake don't really use social media in the same vein that I do. I'm always the face of the band just because I really like doing it. It's something that those dudes have other interests that are more important to them. With the Patreon, we can get their interests and do things that are authentic to them that they actually like and want to do. Like those dudes don't want to sit on a computer for two hours doing an interview. They just don't. They're just like, nah, I got better shit to do. But you're like, yo, do you want to sit in front of a fucking screen for like two hours and play this video game and talk shit to each other? Yeah. And they want to do that, right? Like we can do stuff like that. So, you know, as to where I honestly was very, very apprehensive at first, I really fought it for the last like six months. I'm starting to look at it and and to sort of wrap it all up, looking at what we did for Furnace Fest and what we were able to do, we came into this place that nobody knew who the fuck we were and literally shook up their whole thing, all their defenses. <laughs> and they're like, who the fuck is this fucking annoying band? Like literally the promoters were like, I don't know how the fuck you guys did this, but that's not the first time you heard that. We heard that from D- Danny Wimmer Presents. They literally called our radio guy, our radio station. We're like, who the fuck is this band? How are they doing this? What are they doing? How are they making this happen? And that's kind of like where it dawns on me. Like this Friends Fest thing was like, dude, our fans are the shit. Like they are really the driving force of this. 
all we are is just a vessel to keep doing what we've always done and just be who we really are. And it's, to me, it's the most authentic thing that we can do because we can really incorporate everybody. So I'm stoked for it. Um, I know that you've been taking care of the stuff we put you in charge of making the Patreon and stuff. Cause again, herding cats, uh, wrangling squirrels. So uh, I'm excited to, to launch it um, and get all the stuff on there that we already have planned already. And we're already working on some really fun ideas. You know, I, I have an idea that I keep pushing to the guys and they're all kind of like, oh, okay. And I think it's hilarious. And one of those ideas that we had talked about is like us doing an entire practice of going through like seven songs and just eating hotter and hotter chips and see who dies. <laughs> like who ends up just being like, I can't fucking do this anymore kind of thing. Like, let's pick seven songs for a practice. Let's put it on the Patreon live and let's start eating chicken wings like hot ones, but they just get embarrassingly hotter. Who's going to tap out? Like those guys are like, yeah, uh-huh. And I'm like, no, we're doing this shit, you know? So yeah, it's, it's fun, man. I'm stoked about it. Thank you for handling the Patreon. Thanks for doing this with us tonight. Thanks for having this. I love that people get to like know your podcast. Cause I'm a really big fan of your podcast. And I always tell the story of, I remember sitting in a van with you with a shitty, like, what are those? Like, whatever that blue mic. Yeti, yeah, the blue Yeti yeah, mic. Yeah, blue mic. And, like, in our, like, van, you're like, you're going to be my second podcast. And, like, listening to that and seeing one where you, from that to here is awesome. And now that you're part of our team and you can come on our Facebook and show more people and show our fans what you actually do. And they can check out all the guests you have. Because, dude, you've had some incredible fucking guests. Like, I'm just like, I'm like, you interviewed fucking Jose from Incubus, for God's sakes. Like, what the fuck? Like, that's crazy to me, you know? <laughs> so so it's awesome, man. I love it. It's cool. It's cool. I'm stoked for the Patreon, for sure. Um, I think it's easy. It's something we've been doing to really wrap this up. This, what we're doing right now, this is something we've talked about putting in the Patreon. Like, maybe every other week, Alfonso or I or the guys and I. We'll just kind of bullshit for, you know, an hour or two and just kind of make it, you know, a, a heartsick podcast. We can talk about like, you know, we've, we've been discussing, do we do like fun old tourist stories or, you know, things like that. Like just different things that we can kind of make it, you know, a fun show, but it can also be serious like this. It can cover a lot of different things. And, you know, maybe even the fun thing with with this that we're, you know, using this for uh, to, to record all this and put it out. You know, we can add other people. So maybe, you know, that's a perk. Maybe we talk about where it's like you get to join in on one of these and literally shoot the shit digitally yeah. with, with the band or which, whatever. Which I did a little test of that today. I went on today and was just like, yo, ask me questions. I'll bring you on to the Facebook and let's yep. interview some bands and shit. You know, that shit's yep. fun for me. It really is. You know, yeah. I, I I like putting shine on people way more than I like having shine on me. So, yeah, 100 percent. Well, thank you again for for doing this. Uh, for everyone yeah, that's made it Appreciate like two hours, uh, yeah. thank you for watching this. Anyone who will watch it after the fact, yeah. thank you. If you guys watch, um, thanks, man. This was a lot of fun. I uh, thank Alfonso for twenty years of friendships and me making fun of him losing his hair, and <laughs> you know he makes fun of me for being white. One of my one of my ex girlfriends <laughs> is still a great friend of mine. The first thing I wake up to this morning was like, "Look, you had hair," and it's a picture of her, <laughs> me, and our and her friend <laughs> and our friend uh, who's who goes by Damien Faust. It was me, him, and her, and I was like, "Oh, you fucking, you're so mean." So yeah, so. 
Well, I think the meanest, I mean, I feel bad because like I know it bothers bothers you up, but I mean, I think that's what uh, essentially like super best friends do is we just make fun of each other. And like I said, I was like, oh, that's what happened. You you had dickhead hairstyles, and so God took away your hair, (laughs) so you can't make those mistakes anymore. Stop doing stupid shit with your hair. (laughs) And look, now it passed on to your son. He doesn't have hair either. There you go. It's slowly growing for him though. So you're just gonna cut it and just I'm gonna see you one day with like the patchiest hair of like baby oh, hair. Waylon <laughs> keeps trying to like bribe me. He's like, yo, yo, just let it grow. I will give you a hundred bucks if you just let your hair grow. And I'm like, you look like Josta. Yeah, it's not gonna fucking grow anywhere besides like the sides of he's like, get the fryer tuck, man. Just do it. Yeah. I'm, like, I'm not fucking doing that. <laughs> Well, awesome. Enjoy the rest of your night. Tell Rachel I said hey and pet your dogs for me, and I'll uh, probably talk to you in like two minutes as soon as we're done with this. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> say what's up, man. You take care, brother. Yeah, you as well. Bye. So that was my conversation with Alfonso, again, of Heartsick. Um, once again, want to thank everybody who watched in real time, who kept the conversation kind of going in the comments. Uh, you know, we touched on a lot of things, and... I'll definitely say, and kind of as you hear me joking about in the end, you know, a lot of this was born out of anger. Um, initially, I think my wanting to to have this conversation was to really shed light on a lot of hypocrisies, a lot of the the issues I think that stem from this scene that so many of us love and support, but it's its own worst enemy uh, in a lot of senses. You know, if it's not, if it's not core enough, if it's not angry enough, if it's not niche enough, if it's not this, we're our own worst fucking enemies, man. Like why, why do we care so much about this band doesn't fit because of whatever? Like, I don't get it. Like, you know, I think someone in the comments uh, said it really well. And, and Alfonso kind of, paraphrased it during our chat where it's like you know someone creates art and then all these people try to tell you what your art is and limit your voice and all these kind of things and they have nothing to do with the creation of it and these are also the same people who wouldn't want someone to do that to them and I think that's kind of the bigger narrative I kind of came to when getting ready to do this is I didn't want it to be one of like of a vitriol where I'm just like, well, fuck Furnace Fest and fuck all their fans and fuck the hardcore scene and fuck all these people. It really was about shedding light on it's in spite of all this shit that we still love this music. We still love this scene. Why? Why? Why do we still want to be a part of this thing that has kind of habitually shown that it doesn't want us at times? And I still don't really know if I have the answer. I I don't know if I've come up with the answer yet, but it is fascinating to be in this sort of masochistic world (laughs) where, you know, if you like something, well, then you're not core enough. Or if you didn't do this, or if you didn't go to this show or, you know, this, this weird hierarchy of whatever the fuck it is, I don't know. And really I have to kind of remind myself that, once you're actually at a show, a lot of that doesn't exist because those that are there fucking want to be there. We love the live band. We love the band. We love being at shows. We love seeing our friends. 
And it's about that. It's it, And that's what I, I sometimes have to remind myself is that when dealing with the shit on the internet, that's not real fucking life. That's, that's the vocal minority. Uh, and they are very vocal. But I won't say that it also isn't what makes me not enjoy heavy music at times. I think when you think of like pop music or even hip hop or whatever, you know what you don't see? You don't really see people being like, oh, well, fuck this guy or fuck whatever. They don't care. They just don't talk about it. Like sometimes someone might be like, oh, I don't like, you know, little Wayne. I think he sucks. Or Wayne's the goat. I can't believe you like blah, blah, blah. Like that's about it. And sometimes it's not really even that big of a fucking deal because they don't care because it's like it it has nothing to do with anything. I can like my person and you can like your person and that's fine. And I don't know what it is about rock and metal. And I feel like it's it's so funny because everyone's like, where's this like we're we're the underground and, and no one likes us or no one supports us or da 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 like a badge of honor. But at the same time everyone always comments about how we're treated like second-class citizens for liking this music. And it's like, well, no shit. Cause all you do is make no one want to be a part of it because you, we, however you want to phrase that are our own worst part of this scene. Shit. Look at fucking Metallica. Stranger things comes out. Now all of a sudden, you know, they have a song and a new generation of people found Metallica instead of being like, isn't it great that people are still finding and loving music that we've all known about for a while? Isn't it great that you love Metallica now? Aren't they a fucking great band? Fuck yeah, they are. Welcome. Here's 40 fucking years worth of music you have to like to now look forward to getting into. I can tell you some of it's not as good as the rest, but welcome. That's how it should be. Should be welcoming. Hey, if you like Metallica, guess what? You want to hear another band? Here's this band, Megadeth. You know what? The guitar player on this song used to be in the band. Now he's the singer and the guitar player of Megadeth. You want to hear something crazy? They both have the same song, but it's it's by you know by each of the bands and different lyrics and all this kind of stuff. Like to get someone into the scene, you would think it would be more supportive and, and more of like, if you like this, let me show you all these other things. You should be excited about it. But instead, the adverse happens. Everyone gets into Metallica and everyone's like, oh, you're not a real fan because you only found out about it from a fucking TV show. Who fucking cares? Be be appreciative that we got someone that we were had the exposure of being on a fucking giant TV show. And instead of celebrating breaking through into the mainstream, granted it's with Metallica, but it's from a song before really they were big and mainstream and became what they have become. Celebrate these wins. Who gives a fuck? Who gives a fuck how you got into anything? How did anyone get into anything? You were probably shown, seen it on something, some mainstream thing, a magazine, whatever. Like, I don't know. We are our own worst enemies when it comes to this. And it's so infuriating. And I know from talking about it to other people literally in the scene, literally from last week's episode with Tanner, where I was like, yeah, I don't really like fuck with you know, the scene and I don't listen to metal all the time and all this kind of shit. It's like, yeah, because it sucks. It sucks dealing with all these closed minded people who think they're better than everyone because, Oh, I found this band first. You know, I used to have a joke with a friend of mine. Oh, I only liked them when they, when the demo, when they sounded like shit and didn't even know how to write the full, the song wasn't even a complete song. I liked them when they were them. Not once they finally put out a whole record of actual songs, posers like, that's how this shit sounds. It sounds so fucking stupid. 
I don't know. Got nothing else to say about it. It's really infuriating. And I'm really glad that Alfonso came on and, and allowed him and I to have a real conversation about, about this and about bigger talking points, about racism and about exclusivity in our culture, in our not just music culture, but in our actual cultures. You know, him growing up Hispanic as a POC, moving from Puerto Rico to Miami to here in Michigan, me kind of having a similar journey through a different set of circumstances, but we're all fucking people at the end of the day, man. Like, I think that's the thing that gets lost in all of this is that we're, we're just people and we just want to be accepted and we just want to find a place where we can be us. And music is supposed to be one of those things that brings us together. And it's crazy at how much it actually divides us. And that's sad. It's really fucking sad. So, in wrapping up this episode, if you would like to keep up with Heartsick, you can find them at Heartsick Band on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. If you would like to keep up with Alfonso, you can find him at Alfonso Civilli on Instagram. Uh, you can find him at his multiple pages he has on Facebook. Um, he is one of the most genuinely nice people I've ever met. And it's why we've known each other for 20 plus years. I'm glad to have him on the episode. I'm glad that maybe you get to see a little bit of more of the dynamic between he and I. Uh, he's one of those people I literally talk to every single day. And as you can tell by how animated, impassioned, whatever the word is you want to use, I don't like seeing my friends be bullied or go through things that I feel like they shouldn't have to go through simply for trying to do something to better themselves. So I'm actually not even going to plug any of the other things because it feels disingenuous. This whole thing is, is really about my friend. So support them, go out and see them. If they are on tour, if they are anywhere near you, go support the band. Uh, you can keep up with everything going on with the band. You can buy merch, all that kind of stuff. Heartsick.us. Support those guys. They 100% deserve it. And that's it for this week. I will talk to you all next time. Uh, I'm doing a couple episodes in about an hour or two, uh, and I will post those when they are done. I will talk to you next time. Have a good week. Tell your friends you love them. I'll talk to you all then. <laughs>